Waking Wraith, Chapter 4, A Flying Visit, written by Alexander Campbell, narrated by Alexander Campbell. After devouring half a pizza between them, Katie suggested, as her stride had not been seen, she'll take a slice to her room. Sounds of wails and chimes hummed through the door. She knocked, no answer. Opening it ajar, she saw the back of Astride's multicoloured bob cut. She sat in the middle of the room, legs crossed on a large cushion. Smoke from Indian Rose incense sticks hung in the air. Without moving and keeping her palms upwards on her knees, Astride said, You've broken my state, what is it? Serving the plate like a butler, she replied, Pizza, my queen? One eye opened. Nostrils twitching, she said, Thanks, leave it on the table. Katie planted herself on the cushion facing her. You're still here, said Astride. I want to learn, show me. Oh, it's ruined now. All right then. Astride said, Sit like me and don't laugh. Katie laughed. Katie, if I'm to teach you, you need to take it seriously? Yes, of course, as she snorted through her nose. Katie, sorry. Focus on your breathing. Fill your lungs with air. Breathe in deep. Ready and breathe. One, two, three, and hold. One, two, three, and out. One, two, three, allow the air to cleanse and relax you. Empty your mind and connect with the moment. Only the present matters. Now relax. With each exhaling breath, Katie's humour left. Her presence in the room was lost. The whale calls echoed in her mind. Without warning, thoughts and visions assembled. At first they were vague and abstract. Then the colours collided and mixed. A colourful easel erected, it held a moving canvas of a profound memory. Holding her hand strolling through her playground was her mother bathed in light and glowing with pride. Watching from afar, she saw her younger self look up and stare at her mother who was engaged in a conversation with a group of parents, infecting them with laughter and smiles. Both Katies watched their mother intensely. Her mother proudly pushed her younger self in front and held her shoulders. A single tear slipped from her closed eyes. Like an old-fashioned slide projector, the image slid onto a bird's-eye view of a ruined building. She moved and soared, circling and ducking around its fallen stone structure. The land around was green and lush. Like a blue velvet ribbon, a moat teeming with leaping salmon wrapped around it. The roof was missing, and many walls had fallen, but one feature stood prominently. A tower with a sundial climbed high into the sky, casting a shadow over the crumbling battlements and pillars below. The palace, she thought. It really has been destroyed. Leaving the abandoned ruined palace, she followed the sparrow and soared down the mountainside. Where trees had fallen and ferns had sprouted, a well-trodden path lay hidden by long grass. It snaked and trailed down a winding steep descent. Flying low, she followed it. It led them to the foot of the mountain. In a rush of excitement, she fluttered high above the dark green canopy of a wild forest that encompassed the base of the mountain. Climbing higher still, she became reunited with the vast, lush, landscaped land she thought she'd left forever. Joy filled her heart. For miles, shortened grass carpeted the great expanse. In the distance, ancient, solitary, knobbly oak trees rooted the ground and provided rest spots for fauna that had wandered astray. To the east on the horizon, thick smoke clouded the air. In and below the smoke were silhouettes of cascading buildings, some flamboyant in design, others looked Victorian, grey and grisly. It was a place that she had heard much of, but had never visited. The land of work was the bane of Festavia's spirit. It was a thorn in its side. The two clashed, but without each other, 
neither would exist. This was the land that had bedded her roots. Its fertile party spirit had drawn her in, and its adventures tested her and confronted her hidden fears. All except the palace looked as it did. What's the trouble, she thought. Like a moth drawn to a light, she spotted a canvas tent, the length of a football pitch. Standing on its own, almost buried in overgrown grass, accelerating at speed, the land beneath blurred. When she reached the tent, she heard Temptation by Seventeen booming from within its white canvas drapes. The sparrow followed her, circling and ducking to get a closer look. Everyone must be inside, she thought. Hovering by the entrance, disco lights flashed down a darkened tunnel. She delved in. The music was much louder inside. Its sound bounced and amplified from the walls. Disappointingly, it was almost empty, but at the far end she saw a huddle. Her curiosity propelled her straight to them. Reaching 40 metres, she saw that it was a tight circle of odd-looking heads. They looked wooden. The mannequins, she thought. Poor souls. She circled them and a white pale head turned. It can see me. With its spindly wooden arm, it chopped at her. In an evasive manoeuvre, she flew straight up and hovered above. Down below, in the middle, a man dressed in pink leggings and wearing a gold glittered waistcoat and a hat to match pleaded, Please, I promise I'll conform. I'll do it. Up once, all the surrounding mannequins raised an arm above their heads. No, he cried. You've killed them all. Have mercy. Katie tried to scream, but she could not. In an act of madness, she dived, but on her way, they chopped at him. His presence vanished. His body was gone. She bounced off a mannequin and stabilised herself midair, regrouped and attacked again. The sparrow copied. To her horror, the mannequin accurately swiped the sparrow out of existence. Enraged, she dived back, but was struck and knocked to the floor. Dazed and looking up, a large white soul descended. Crunch. She awoke in a cold sweat. The cushion was drenched. Opening her mouth, Katie said, I went back to Festavia. Astride didn't reply. Her quick wit had fled. She gave Katie an edgy and unscrewed look, but said dryly, you freaked me out. Halfway through the meditation, a tear ran down your face. So I grabbed your hand. As soon as I did, I was flying. It looked like your Festavia, and oddly, I was following a sparrow. Katie's mouth dropped. You were there too. Hang on, a sparrow. Did you get chopped? Yeah, those weird mannequin things hit me. Then I woke up. Ah, we were both sparrows. This seems normal to you, Katie. I'm freaked out. Oh, come on, Astride. You're into this stuff. No, I only read about it. It's not meant to be real. Katie got up and asked, Where are your tails? There was no reply. Astride, honey. I'm dripping. The cupboard top shelf. She pressed her face into it and said, We must get back. I've got to know what's happening. You're mad. It cannot be a healthy thing to do. Look at you. The door creaked open and Astride said, Benny, what about knocking? His eyes darted around and he spotted the pillow and said, What have you girls been up to? Looks like you've had quite a sesh. Katie said, Benny, in your dreams. My dear, you have no idea what's in them. You both must be thirsty. I'll get you some water. The door shut and they had to shuffle down the stairs. We can't tell him, said Astride. Why not? He's a physicist. He'll think we're nuts. We are. And he might be able to help. On his return, Katie readied herself and perched on Astride's desk. Astride rinsed her face in her bedroom sink and stood leaning up against it. Benny's mood changed from jovial to edgy. I'm not doing it. What? asked Astride. The two of you and me. Katie said, who do you think we are? 
Well, you both go out, have a liaison, and then I come up and see sweaty pillows. We had a liaison, Katie asked. As Chai said, no, Benny, that was just me and Sarah. Although, Katie, I'd consider it. There was a moment's pause and Katie said, you're my new meditation coach and I don't mix business with pleasure. And Benny, this brings me on to my next point. We need your help on physics. Next to the cushion, she pulled up a chair and knelt to his eye level. She whispered, Vestavia's real. For help, he turned to Astride, but she said dryly, It's true, and possibly. He laughed and said, Astride, where's that tequila? For an hour or so, with Astride's frequent acknowledgements, she explained to Benny their shared experience. At the end, after a theatrical rendition of their accounts, she stopped pacing around the room and returned kneeling, facing him. He squeezed his lips together. He squeaked and then let out a burst of laughter. His eyes watered. I'm sorry, girls, but this is too funny. You two as flying sparrows. That is hilarious. Composing himself and drying his eyes, he said, I've heard that when women live together, they can synchronise. Maybe this is a hallucinogenic fusing of your periods. (laughs) Katie frowned and said sternly, Benny, take me seriously. What would it take? His laugh simmered down. He remembered she'd been through a tough trauma. After settling, he said, politely, look, who am I to not your experience? I'm a physicist, a rational thinker. However, they do say that to be innovative in science, you must be creative and open-minded. Einstein was not a conventional scientist. He thought up the theory of relativity by imagining he was riding on a beam of light. So what I'm saying is, I can't give you an answer on this. Assuming it is a this, then this is beyond what is known, rationally. Let me take you seriously, I'll need proof. It doesn't mean what I'm saying, what you saw wasn't real. It may have been real to you, but it'll need more measures to conclude it's real beyond yours or even Astri's reality. Katie understood him. She said she needed to go to bed. He promised in his free time he would try and find some scientific theories that could help explain Festavia. Astride had already pulled out several ancient fairy tale books from under her bed. After a rejuvenating sleep, Katie was ready for the day. Benny asked her if they could go into town before lectures. He wanted to visit a shop that sold £2 baguettes. Strolling across the city park, she saw the old lady feeding pigeons. Her face was drawn, but with each sprinkle of breadcrumbs, a look of joy flickered. I don't know why she bothers. They're basically flying rats, muttered Benny. Katie said, A wise man once told me to not act like a pigeon. What? Walk and nod? No, acting like a pigeon is behaving like life's prey. People who act like pigeons don't look when crossing the road. They climb up mountains without proper clothing. And he interrupted, take an overdose and end up in coma. She stuttered and dropped her head. He apologised. Hey, I was joking. It's okay, you're right. I haven't accepted it. When I think about it, I feel embarrassed and I push it away. Anyway... Since when did you become a comedian? Since I started to hang out with you girls? You both cracked me up. The baguette shop was a few blocks away and close to the train station. Walking under a railway bridge, they heard below and mumbled, Can you spare any changed? Walking with his hands firmly in his pockets, Benny said, We'll get you a baguette. She glanced at the man. He sat on a mucky blanket next to a folded sleeping bag. His hair was scraggy and dark rings clouded around his eyes. Walking on, she asked, Why not just give him two quid? He's faking or druggy. Faking, she asked. His trainees cost more than in my wardrobe. They bought three baguettes from the newsagents. Benny greeted the owner and said, Bargain, I love this place. Behind the desk, stacked full of newspapers and confectionery, the owner said, Yes, this week we're adding the local paper. 
It's been a hit with the commuters. Leaving the shop, she spread her paper and said, Oh my, more suicides. In the last three days, four people have killed themselves. Benny was unfazed. She said, Isn't it sad? Munching on his tandoori chicken baguette, he answered. Yeah, but life can suck. Killing yourself is selfish. It hurts the people you leave behind. She said, I think if you want to take your own life, you must be in a really bad way. They mustn't be able to think of anything else but running from pain. I guess, but it's still selfish. There's so many unfortunate people in the world. Some can only move their head, but they carry on. I don't think you can compare suffering like that, she said. The train echoed over their heads. Benny stopped and bent over. Tandoori or ham and cheese? The man's trainers beamed out amongst the, his grubby self. He sat legs stretched out, demeanour sullen, and with a vague attempt to make eye contact, he muttered, Just a quid, please. I'm not hungry. This is all we have, we're students, and Benny handed him both baguettes. With his only arm, he reached up. Nice trainers, Katie said. With a little pride and look of a wild dog, he replied, Thanks. Some bloke swapped them with me. He even paid me too. He cackled a laugh which broke into a hoarse cough. Clearing his throat that made them both wince, he said, He must have been on something. My shoes looked as if they'd been on a pilgrimage. Aha! I met that guy. Your swap got me into the club. She took a better look at him, froze and then shouted, Wraith! Benny tutted and said, Not this Festavius stuff again. You're going nuts. But the man was twitchy. He asked, How do you know my name? It is you. You look so different. Your nose is still broken, though. Do I know you? It's me, Katie. I don't know you. We were in Festavia together. We completed a quest. You're a martial arts warrior. He cackled a phlegm-ridden laugh. Benny grew with impatience, and the man said, Yeah, I did martial arts, but that was years ago, way before I joined the Marines. Can I have that quid? She whispered to herself, He doesn't remember. And then asked, do you remember anything? The palace, the finale, or even the polar bears? He said, it sounds like you're on skag. I dream mad when I'm on it. Benny interrupted nervously. Katie, we've got lectures. We should go. Walking backwards away, he pointed to his watch and said, it's 11.30. Reluctantly, she came. Then the man shouted, Catherine Peruzzi. She stopped dead in her tracks and turned around. Running up to him, she knelt. That's my name. When I wake, that bloody name is always running through my head. I have no idea where it comes from. Is that you? Yes, she said with relief. I'm not mad after all, she thought. She asked him to go for a coffee in the train station. Wraith agreed, but not for long. He didn't want to lose a spot. Sitting in a chained coffee shop, she passed Wraith a black coffee. He sunk further into the sofa and put his feet up on the table. A barista cleaning nearby scowled at him and said, Hey, that's not allowed. His feet stayed up. It wasn't out of defiance. He seemed to not care. Katie said, Wraith, come on, please. He gave a puzzled look. Putting his feet down, he looked back at her and said, What's a beautiful woman like you talking to a washout like me? Many reasons. You saved me, Wraith. If it wasn't for you, I would have died. Are you a fed? If you are, young lady, I'm not telling you nout. She laughed and said, No, I'm not. Look, and she passed the student card to him. Benny gave her a disapproving look. He read aloud in a gravelly voice, Catherine Peruzzi, BA Honours and Business Management. In this pic, you look batshit crazy. The flash made me jump, she snapped. Wraith looked down and said, yeah, I know that feeling. Flashes keep me awake, he tapped his cup. She had so many questions she wanted to ask him. Why was he homeless? Why did he take drugs? And what's happened to his arm? But they could all provoke him. So she asked, 
Flashes keep you awake. Keeping his head down, he hummed and fixated on his tapping finger. The reply took so long that both she and Benny wondered if he was even listening. The tapping changed to a stroke, he said. There's no sound, just a flash. It replays, it never goes away. After the flash, my life flashed away. That was it. It changed everything. Benny felt out of his depth. He was turning 21 in June. He had no idea what Wraith was talking about, and his crazed look made him tremble. Katie calmly asked, Was the flash from the army? Yeah, and this. He said, wiggling his right armless shoulder. Oh, she tried not to stare. Come on, don't pretend you've not noticed, he sniggered cynically. She took a sip from her coffee and asked, Why are you homeless? He sat upright, breathed in, and leant back in the sofa. He sighed slowly, like he was exhaling a cigarette. She thought, I knew it, too soon to ask. Scratching his grisly chin, he said clearly, Who exactly are you? It's not every day a pretty student insists on talking to me. She gave a brief explanation of Festavia and how they met. Wraith, like Benny did, welled up in tears and cackled a laugh. <laughs> That's made my day. You're either nuts or on skag. If it's the latter, give it to me. A girl like you shouldn't touch the stuff. She crossed her arms and scowled at him. Benny wished his chair could carry him off. Look here, Wraith. Ever since I woke up, I've been told this. I'm not crazy. You, sir, are an Aries, pragmatic, driven and bloody stubborn. You're obsessed with time. You should pull a plough because you have blinkers on. You always choose a direct path and have little patience for detours. You hide your emotions, but deep down, you have a huge heart that is scared of failure and most importantly, losing the ones you love. You have a love for the English language. To an extent, you sound like you're in a Shakespearean play. Pausing to get her breath, she saw he was stunned. He said, I went to public school, but whatever good that did has gone. You're a psychic, aren't you? That's how you know all these things. You always said a woman can read a man's mind. No, Wraith, I just know you, but it seems you don't know yourself. He trapped and wrestled a cough, sat up and placed his hand on the table. It was trembling. His eyes darted, then he spotted Benny's 1990 Casio watch and asked, What's the time? Pulling his cuff up, he answered, It's 1pm. Katie, we missed our lectures. Wraith rubbed his chin and said, I'd one of those watches. Don't worry, I ain't going to nick it. I've got to go. He stood up and paced the door then rushed back to the sofa. He'd forgotten his lighter. When he snatched it, she put her hand over his clenched fist and said, I'll be back. Is this where you hang out? With a suspicious look, he said, Yeah, when I can, but don't be following me. I've got enough problems. He left briskly and unintentionally slammed the door. Katie turned to Benny. He raised his eyebrows. She said, Now do you believe me? To be honest, I don't know what to believe. One minute we're getting baguettes and the next we're talking fantasy with a homeless guy. She shook her head. You're doubting me. Hey, it's strange I agree, but ESB, the ability to communicate telepathically, has sort of been proven. I think this is what's going on. But he wasn't the wraith you talk about in Festavia. He's like the anti-wraith. She stirred her coffee. She said, he's different. When I first met him, he was well-groomed, younger, healthier, and the wraith I knew would never take drugs. If it wasn't for his striking blue eyes, I wouldn't have recognised him. He must have been through a lot. How do you know you haven't met him already? Maybe you chatted to him once when you're smashed. Benny, I don't roam the streets drunk. And how do I know so much about him? I'm not Sherlock, he said. No shit, he said with a smirk. Funny, she said sarcastically. Anyway, he's helped me, so I should help him. He may not want helping, he said. It's not his choice, I owe him. For such a sweet looking girl, you can be so bossy. 
Returning to the house, she rushed up the stairs to tell her stride, but she had left for lectures. Standing outside her bedroom, pondering, she noticed Benny was guarding the door. She asked, So, we've missed lectures. What's your plan now? I'm going to revise my room. Edging closer, she said, Can I come in? I find boys' rooms so interesting. I'm sure you've seen enough of them. Actually, no, I don't go back to their dens. How do you do your business? I've never seen you bring guys back. Contrary to popular belief, I'm a good girl. I'm not judging. Live your life how you want. As long as you don't hurt anybody, it's all good. She tried to push the door. Hey, what are you doing? Benny said with an arm across it. Come on, I'm curious. She tickled him under his ribs, ducked under his arm and darted in. Oh, she said. It's very clean. The room was meticulously organised. The carpet spotless. A white fur rug lay in the centre. The bed had neatly pressed checkered covers and above it, like a shrine, was a signed picture of David Hasselhoff. He neatly lined up several posters, one of whom was Prince. She liked him. There's a retro CD collection too, stacked high of artists such as Kylie Minogue, George Michael and Pet Shop Boys. She picked up a magazine from the desk. He flinched. No, give that here. Holding it behind her back, she said, What is it, porn? I bet it's fetish or cosplay. I won't judge. Katie, please. Glimpsing at the cover, she handed it back and said, Boring, I want to see. Then she paused and said, Benny, are you gay? Sheepishly, he parted the pages and showed her. Oh, you really do like men and motors. That's a lot of naked guys on a bonnet. Yeah, the guy in the middle's Jeff. I'll do anything to meet him. She giggled and said, I like his pink driving gloves. With zest, he pulled open a drawer on his desk. I've got one signed. She read aloud from its palm, To my biggest fan, Benny. Keep on driving hard and turn the straights bent. She burst out laughing and snorted. Yeah, that's Jeff. He's got a sense of humour. It sounds like you know him. He has a fan account. I'm confused, she said. He spoke to my dad about men and motors and curvy sallies. Hey, I agree about the men and motors, but he talks about the curvy sallies. That's my dad. But Benny, why didn't you say anything when you had the chance? Perching on his desk and his hands deep in his pockets, he answered, because he's a man's man. My dad's a buffoon's buffoon. He wouldn't judge. Besides, he has no legs to stand on. He shouts for 15 men twice a week. Ha, yeah, I suppose. It's because I came from a small town in the country. Many would have freaked out if I told them. Were you the only gay in the village? She giggled. Sniggering, he answered. I hid it, so I'll never know. What about now? You're in your last year of uni and you're still hiding it. Uni is when most be who they want to be. He said, is that what you've done? She said, I thought so, but now I think I was hiding too. I'm not sure who I am, but it's not who I've been. Downstairs, the keys rattled in the front door, followed by thudding footsteps. Benny, can you give me a hand? I've got shopping, shouted Astride. The hallway was blocked by three bag for life shopping bags and outside amber lights flashed from a taxi parked on the footpath. How much did you buy? Katie asked. I brought enough to see us good to the end of the month. Why? I felt giving. Plus, I like to help my friends. Hurry up, the taxi will get a ticket. Carrying two bumper packs of toilet paper, Benny said, with what Katie's dad and Astride have brought, we live like kings. After stacking several cartons of soy milk into a lower cupboard, Katie asked, Astride, can you afford this? Standing on a wobbly chair, screwing an energy light-saving bulb into the ceiling socket, she replied, I've been saving all year. It's not a problem. The room was filled with unprecedented light rays. Benny clapped his hands and shouted, and then there was light. The candles worked, replied Astride. Yeah, in the Middle Ages, he and Katie giggled, and eventually Astride did too. Thanks for listening to Waking Wraith. If you want more information, please like our Facebook page, Festavia, and we're also on Instagram too.